Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. So I have us at the very end of chapter four. Pretty soon, folks, we're going to finally end a interaction between Moshe and God that's lasted more than a chapter, I believe, of Torah, um, and certainly a lot of weeks of our time, right? In fact, we're, we're, chap- we're chapter four, verse um, 16 or 17. We'll get into the details in a second. And if you go back, this whole scene um, begins at the beginning of chapter three, right? So chapter three is in when Moshe was um, shepherding and leads his sheep into the wilderness and finds the bush on fire. And we've been hanging out in that scene and that conversation back and forth since then. It's almost two full, it's two full chapters of Torah. And if you just jump ahead to um, the 18th verse of, um, of, our, of our text, which we'll get to in a second, finally Moshe is going to take his leave. Interesting uh, to note, as we sometimes do, the difference between where the Jews split up the text and where the Christians split up the text. So according to the Jews, once we get to verse 17, which we'll read in a second, where uh, it's, it's the last thing that God says to Moshe, and then Moshe goes and talks to Jethro and makes his way back into Egypt, that's a new aliyah, right? That's a new idea. But according to the Christian division of the text, which is what chapter verse is, we're still in the middle of chapter four, and we have a whole nother set of scenes before we actually finish the, the, the chapter. So occasionally, that's an interesting comparison. Not, not only a new uh, aliyah, but also it's a major paragraph break. Right. Thank you, Norm. Um, it's, it, it would be visible in the text of the Torah um, as, as if like the typewriter pressed enter and you're on the next paragraph. Correct. It's a, it's a, it's a, a not only it's, it's a petucha, right? It's not a stuma. Is that correct? It's an open, it's an open paragraph. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, wonderful. So let's jump into it. I know we did verse 16 last week. Um, I don't feel, I feel like we did not do all the Rashi's on 16. I, so, I read the first part of the Rashi and not the second part of the Rashi. Okay. So let me read the verse again to get us going. This is God speaking to Moshe regarding Aaron. He will speak not to you, obviously, according to Rashi, but on your behalf, El Ha'am, to the nation. The first L is a not, a, a, not a two. The first L is a on behalf of. Um, actually, and behold, he will be for you as a mouth. And we talked about that in the shop, but not in the Rashi yet. And you will be to him as an Elohim. And that's an interesting word to say the very least, right? So without going back into all the possibilities that we shared, let's maybe jump right into the Rashi to see how he deals with this, um, with the second half of the verse. We also read, we already read the Rashi on the lecha, meaning bishvilcha. Okay. Um, Renee, do you want to finish it off since you were reading? Yeah, lecha, lefeh, lemalitz, lefi, sheta, kvar. Kvad. Kvad, peh. Okay. So 
Rashi notes the same thing we know, which is that it's weird to say that someone's going to be a mouth. We might say in English, someone's going to be a mouthpiece, but you've never heard in colloquial English, you're, you're going to be that guy's mouth. Now, we know what it means, but Rashi needs to get us there, right? We know that we know that God was not saying to Moshe that, that Aaron is going to actually become your mouth. It's some figure of speech. And Rashi says, don't just read it as peh, read it as melitz. Who knows what melitz means? Or where have we seen the word melitz? Spokesperson. What's that? A spokesperson. Yeah, a spokesperson, uh, an interpreter, a translator. Anyone the, remember? Uh, the, uh, um, the sons of Joseph if, uh, in, in the court of Pharaoh? Was that correct. what it was? In that scene, way back in Parshat uh, Vayigash, or actually probably at the end of Miketz, when Yosef is discussing, actually our, our Parsha right now, when Yosef is meeting the brothers for the first time, they didn't under, know that he understood ki melitz benotam, because Mo, Yosef, even though he did understand what the brothers were saying, he put a melitz, he put a spokesperson or an interpreter or a translator in between them to suggest that he needed it to understand their language, right? So um, the, the root, it's unclear if the root has to do with representing someone or specifically having language skills that the other one lacks. Here Rashi is saying, Aaron is not going to form a part of your body. Aaron is going to be the one in between you and Pharaoh, not here interpreting language as if there's, there's a language barrier, but being the one to, to represent your speech, right? Why? Lafi? Lafi. Because you're heavy of mouth. Right. So Rashi uses the word mouth in his comment, because that's what the comment was in the verse. What does it mean that, that Aaron's going to be your peh? He is going to be the, your, your spokesperson because you are lacking in that regard because you you actually self-identified as being kfad peh. Okay, let me pause here. Like, is there, on some level, one could say to Rashi, of course, like, w- what have you added, Rashi? None of us thought, that God was telling Moshe that Aaron is going to inhabit his face and be his mouth. So is there a way to read this Rashi as something other than Rashi's being the master of the obvious? Is there a way in which Rashi is resolving the verse interestingly or, or resolving it in a way that leads to even mini, mini sermonica or should we, or should we leave it as is? He's just telling us if you were confused about the word mouth, he doesn't, it doesn't actually mean physical mouth. What do you think? I think he's just reiterating the point. Just, re, just reiterating that mouth doesn't specifically mean mouth here. Mm-hmm. Norm? Norm? I, I don't have an answer to that, but I have a question because it seems to me that it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Moshe grew up in the palace. Moshe should be accustomed to the palace's ways. Moshe should be completely capable of being in a room in the palace and speaking with Pharaoh or any of the other people there. But when it comes to speaking to the crowds, when it comes to speaking to the Israelite people as a whole, this is where his nervousness or his speech problem might be an effect. And that's where he needs Aaron to speak for him, not in the Pharaoh's room, as it were, in the Pharaoh's chambers. And so it seems to me like the whole arrangement seems sort of backwards. Well, 
a question on your question, Norm, is are we sure, and I'm actually asking, I'm asking myself and all of us, are we sure that what that the referent here to where the speaking is happening is is just Pharaoh or just the people or both? Go back to the last time that's discussed um, directly. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I stand somewhat corrected. If you go back to verse nine, which is the last place where we reference what Moshe is being sent into Egypt to do, we're talking about his confronting the Israelites and convincing them to follow him out. Verse nine, if they don't believe to either of those miraculous things, and they refuse to listen to your voice, or you take some water from the from the Nile, which is um, um, like a premonition for what's going to happen with Pharaoh, but it's a different scene. You throw it on the ground, or you take from the water that you took from the ore. For the Nile, becomes blood on the ground. So all of this right now seems to be um, God trying to convince Moshe to have confidence for reaching out to the Israelites and speaking to them. Um, and then in verse 12, yeah, God says, I will be with your mouth. And maybe mouth in the current verse is referring back to that mouth. Yeah. Yeah, good. So, so um, if we read that back into um, Melitz, Melitz almost certainly then does not mean translator. But rep- but representing you in speech because you are lacking in that poise and confidence, not because there is a language barrier. You're actually in, in this scene. You got you most sure are going to be speaking to the people that you are connected to. Rick, your hands up. Yeah, hi. Um, Rashi knew Uncleus, right? Knew yes. of him. Yes. So and, and so maybe sometimes maybe the Lemelites is there because Uncleus. You told us uh, has Lim, Lim Turgaman there. Yeah, I think I was unconsciously impacted when we discussed this last week by Uncleus's use of Maturgaman to, to trick myself into thinking that this scene that's being anticipated is Moshe and Pharaoh. Um, because the choice of, of, of turning into, into a Maturgaman from Peh has to do with language and language comprehension. That's the only way. Melitz can be understood in more than one way. Maturgama means to translate from one language to the next. So it actually makes me um, question Unculus. Why, why does Unculus use Maturgama unless he somehow thinks that because Moshe grew up in the palace and not amongst people, that he actually might have a language barrier, not with the Hebrews, but with the Egyptians. Uh, sorry, not with Egyptians, but with the Hebrews. Interesting. Oh, all right. Sorry, go ahead, Rick. You're, you're done. No, I'm done. Joel, yeah, just just going on um on what Norm said. I'm I'm wondering whether each um can mean not that he's heavy of mouth, but that he's he speaks a more elevated language, mm-hmm. and that he doesn't speak the language of the people. Now I don't know how you would translate uh, lo ish devarim. I mean, that could be he doesn't speak well or he doesn't really understand the goings on of the normal person. Yeah, this is a bigger puzzle than I originally um, was giving credit for. And if you look at the if you're in our book in the Torah, um, Torah Chaim, 
Uh, Uncleus is not the only one who reads this as a translator. Look at um, Rabbi Sajigaon, top right on that page, a uh, very early commentator from Egypt. He does not appear on every page. He everyone's like we have we have small bursts of his commentary, but we don't have a comprehensive commentary. And on the words lefe, he writes leturgaman as a translator. And again, and that that root letargem really can only mean um, a a converter from one language to the next. Which maybe is makes Rashi's comment then less obvious because Rashi's aware of a tradition that understands that the reference to pehir is not just a more fluid presenter of speech, but actually translating between two languages. And Rashi is, is coming down. He's being machri, is saying, no, essentially, Unculus is wrong. Saja is wrong. This is a melitz, not a maturgamon. So um, my original question was, in what way can we think of this Rashi as not being the master of the obvious? And maybe it's not obvious at all. Okay, um, let's go back to Renee and read the next short Rashi on Lelohim. Lelohim, Larav, Lashar. Lashar. Sar. Right. Okay. Now we looked at Uncleus last time, and Uncleus translates Elohim here, not as God, but as Rav. And we discussed that even in Aramaic and Hebrew, Rav can mean many things. It can mean many, haha. It can mean rabbi. Um, uh, and it, it can mean master. Uh, it can be the one who's in charge, right? Moriva Rabbi, right? When you're um, my, my, my teacher and my master can, uh, is what uh, that phrase can sometimes mean. So Rashi, as if you're in our um, book, you have the footnote 19 that tells you directly, Kitargem Unculus. Rashi uh, goes with Unculus on this one. This is actually a very interesting thickening of the pot. If, 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 the, if our comments on the last phrase are correct, Rashi is splitting from Unculus on the rendering of Peh, and aligning with Unculus on the rendering of Elohim, lest you think that, you know, Moshe, you are entering the realm of the divine. No, you're just going to be the one in charge. U lesar. What does lesar mean? A general, usually. A general, a minister, right? Basically, basically the one in control. Don't read, don't read Elohim here as related to uh, divinity, but related to power and control. That's not the only way it's written. Look at... Um, Sforno, if you're in our book, bottom right. I really should be bringing this up on Safari because I know not everyone has um, our book, but for these short ones, I'll just read it out loud. Sforno says, what does Lelohim mean? niflaot b'mitzvotecha. That he, Aaron, will do wonders b'mitzvotecha on your command. Sforno is kind of saying this is godlike. It's not just that you're in charge. You're going to offer, um, give mitzvot like God does. And Aaron's going to perform the miracles on your behalf, which is similar, Moshe, to what you're going to do with me, right? So there's the, I'm God, you're Moshe, I command you, you do miracles relationship. And there's the, according to Sforno, Moshe, you're God-like, you're going to give commands to Aaron, and he's going to do miracles. So Sforno is, is retaining some of the Elohut of the Elohim here. Saperstein has a footnote that says that the usual meaning of the word would be, uh, quote unquote, for a God or, quote unquote, for a judge. Uh, yeah, Elohim lo tekalel in uh, Parshat uh, Kedoshim. It does not mean you shall not curse a God. It means you shall not um, curse a judge, meaning you should 
you should accept the judgment of, 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 a, of a judge. So the, the word Elohim can appear in the Torah having nothing to do with divinity, except that, of course, it does on some level, right? That it's not an entirely different word. It's that as the language progressed and evolved, that that word, which was rooted in divinity, ended up getting applied also to positions of authority amongst humans that have a certain um, divine um, uh, veneer to them. Good. Any other questions or comments on verse 16? Rebecca? Um, yeah, I don't know if, if you spoke about this last week, um, but I'm, I had a question about the, the sort of the grammar or the words used here, because he says, and it seems like there's one too many words there, either or but there's something sort of um, grammatically strange about that part. And I, I don't know if that came up or if there's anyone that discussed that. Um, Wait, Rebecca, we actually didn't, we actually jumped right over that last week. And that's a very good pickup. Everyone see what, what she's picking up on that. There is an extraneous um, form of the verb to be in the, uh, in this verse. Um, he will speak for you to the people Vahayahu, and it will be that he, Vahayaz Vahayipuch, looks past tense and in present tense, it means future tense, Yelacha, and it will be that he, and it be that he will be that he will be for you as a mouth, right? If you try to translate literally word for word, you have two verbs to be that are probably unnecessary, and we just jumped right over that last week. Um, so it would be interesting to see how our, our multiple translations render this. Um, anyone, um, Larry, do you want to read Arya Kaplan or any other? So Arya Kaplan has, um, he will speak to the people for you, period. He will be your spokesman and you will be his guide. So he just, he just, um, smooths it out. And, um, yeah, he just, he just, Alter has, it's interesting um, because Alter ties this pasuk to the previous one. Sometimes Alter doesn't put a period with his Asof pasuk. So I'm just going to back up for a little bit. The previous pasuk, it says, And I myself will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will instruct you both what you shall do, comma, and he will speak for you to the people. And so he, comma, he will be a mouth for you. And you, comma, you will be for him like a god. So that's kind of interesting because he sets it off as a, 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 a not parallel, but <clears throat> he, he will be this, you, you will be this. So juxtaposing the two against each other. Yeah, Everett Fox does something different. I'm sorry. So, 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 am I? Am I? Okay. Uh, does something similar. And, and it goes against the trope. So it'll be interested to hear what Rick has to say about it. But the way Everett Fox resolves it in English kind of makes sense. And he does it with commas. He shall speak for you to the people, comma. He, comma. So that one word he in Hebrew is his rendering of vahayahu. <laughs> vahayahu becomes he. So 
uh, Everfox takes out the verb to be in that phrase, but he's suggesting that v'haya, v'haya, v'haya who, or just maybe the v'haya, is its own beginning of a, of a clause. And, and, and he, that Aaron that we referred to, he shall be for you a mouth, comma, and you, comma, you shall be for him a God. It's as if he's reading it that the, the Hebrew is the Hayahu, what's he going to be doing? He will be for you as a mouth. And it's almost as if there could have been in the, in the second half of the phrase, the Hayahata, right? It's, if you read it the way Everett Fox does, there should be a second verb to be even in the second part of the clause. The trap brings it together in one musical phrase. So the trup brings into one musical phrase both verbs to be. Everett Fox's would make more sense on a trup level if somehow the vahayahu were set apart, which it's not. So actually, as it's trupped, it's doubling the verb to be in one phrase. We don't exactly know why. Rick? Hi. Um, yeah, I agree with what you just said. The vahayah and the who are go together. Uh, two things... Um, the English uh, Silverman is what I have. It reads, and he shall be, comma, even in italics, he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. Um, so I just want to say that. And then I was thinking, well, maybe the vihaya, the first, yeah, the vihaya is like vayahi. It's, it's a general, it will be, and they put a, a hay there and it shouldn't have been there, but uh I don't know, Vayahi? No, that's that's different. But anyway, it shall be just in the general scheme of things that he will be the uh, uh, mouthpiece for you. So uh, maybe looking at it like that. But the Silverman had both uh, he shall be's with an even in between them. Yeah, I think that's very defensible to have the Vahaya be an introduction to this whole next phrase. Almost Vahaya, colon. So if you take out the Bahaya, then the next phrase is perfectly um, a perfect, perfect meter and, and, and symmetrical. Um, but again, that's not how the Trump reads it. And the Trump is a commentary. I think the Trump is correct. It's just a commentary. Does anyone have a JPS in front of them from the Eitz Chaim just to read how JPS renders it in English? No? Okay. Um, Safari is a JPS, so it should be the same. Okay. Do you okay, have you it? Have- yeah. And he shall... Sp- Safaria, by the way, also starts the sentence with a lowercase and, meaning that they don't think it should be connected. They, they think it should be connected to the previous verse. And he shall speak for you to the people, period. Thus he shall serve as your spokesman, comma, with you playing the role of, role of God to him. Right, so, right, he, so he, every time, every time you... you uh, uh, very echoey. Um, so JPS does it with a thus. It turns the vahaya into a thus, um, which is interesting because it's an entirely different form of speech. Vahaya is a verb. Thus is a, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's not a verb. Um, but it shows that, Rebecca, your question's a good one because translators are stumbling over themselves trying to figure out what to do with it. So excellent and astute pickup. Barry? Well, um, going back to uh, the... Previous, the the the, the Targumon, looking at Pa as as Targumon translator. 
So not necessarily a spokesman, uh, but and 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 uh, it was interesting in our discussion that Moshe doesn't really have the lingo, and 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 Aaron does, and uh, so. Uh, it, 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 the, the 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 double verb in here may be one that it, it will be this and and uh, Aaron will be a translator that there'll be a translation so a tra- translate is a verb and so the, there's a doubling of verb subjects in this sentence. Mm. Thank you, Barry. Renee. So Saperstein reads it as he shall speak to you for speak for you to the people semicolon and it will be that he will be a mouth for you. And you will be to him as a master. So basically doesn't, basically pretends like the double verb to be is not there. Right. Right. Which is one way of handling it. No, that's, no. He says, and it will be, that's the first one. Oh, uh, okay. And he will be a male. So the first who is an it, and the second who is a he. Horton hears a who, Horton hears an it. Me means who and who means he. Good. Uh, thank you for that, Rebecca. Um, Let's go to the next verse, the last verse of the fifth Aliyah of Parshat Shemot. Uh, Larry, Diane? Yeah, can I just, uh, I didn't uh, raise my hand soon enough. I have a different um, perspective on this. Again, I think if we go back, <clears throat> don't look at the verses uh, in, uh, in isolation. Go all the way back, well, way back to the beginning of the chapter, but certainly go back to verse um, 13, basically Moses is saying, send someone else. He's already said, send someone else, I'm not capable. Now he's saying, send send someone else because I can't speak very well. And then look at what God is saying after that. God gets mad at this. And the the entirety of the rest is all God speaking. And he's, he's making one point and one point only, which is, okay, Aaron's coming. He's going to speak for you, but you're the one that's doing the action. He's your mouth, but mm-hmm. you're going to put those words in his mouth. Mm. Um, even if you think about he's going, to, he's going to do the miracles, but you're the one that's going to instruct him to do the miracles. So maybe it's, we're making too much of the path issue, the mouth issue, and it's the whole point that God is simply reinforcing, okay, I'm acceding to your request by giving you someone who will overcome this one handicap you claim you have, but you're still in charge in all respects. Good. And that um, retains the interesting choice by the Torah, by, by God, of using the word Elohim here, because it, it is, it's, it's not just his saying to Moshe, you're going you're gonna to be in, in, in charge and in control, but you're going to, again, you're, you're going to have vis-a-vis Aaron a role that's similar to my role vis-a-vis you. Yeah. And that you're, and that by the fact that your Kfad Pet does not take you out of near divine leadership here, it just means that you've got to have a, a number two. You have to have a, a Robert Duval there, a consigliere to, to speak for you. <laughs> if anyone gets the reference, I hope, I hope at least he will do. Okay. Um, let's go to the next uh, verse. Whom have we not heard from today? Um, Rebecca uh, Friedman, do you want to read uh, verse 17? Okay. Be'et hamateh hazeh tikach b'yadecha asher ta'asebo et ha'otot. And this rod you will take 
in your hand that that you shall do with it the signs. Great, perfect translation, right? Um, and again, according to the Jewish rhythm of the text, that ends the scene because it's the last thing that God says in the scene. If you just peek, the next two words are Vayelech Moshe. Moshe goes. Burning bush is over, right? Take this rod and, and with it, Tasebo, do the very signs. What signs? The signs that I, God, have been telling you you should do as you're trying to convince the Israelites to follow you, right? Um, Rashi is quiet on this verse. Most of the other commentaries are, um, well, actually, the commentaries have something to say, but they're, but they're, they're not, they're, they're, they're not grand statements. I want to look at the Unculus with you just for one second, and you tell me why you think I want us to look at the Unculus, if, if anything hits you. So, Viat Chutra Hadain, with this rod or stick, Tisav Biadach, take it in your hand. The Tebad Bay that you should do with it, Yat Ataya, all of the oats, all of the signs. Anyone know why I might have wanted us to look at the Unculus? Any words jump out there is interesting? Utra for Chagadya. Exactly. Just, just uh, that, that Aramaic word that we hit twice a year on Seder that uh, was used to hit the cat. No, hit the dog. I forgot. Hit the dog. Um, there, there it is. Just hanging out in the middle of, of, uh, of Unculus. It just means a rod or a stick. Go. Larry. Um, I'm just wondering if there's a significant, this, the order of the words. Uh, I mean, when it says, et, when it starts with the object, as opposed to saying, or something. Yeah. You know, emphasizing the, the Torah, the Torah's prose takes as much liberty with order of, of words as, as English poetry does. Right. So in poetry, you often might have the subject after the verb or a phrase that you would expect later in the verse to come earlier. And when, when English is written that way, it's kind of clear it's being written for poetic purposes. And in biblical Hebrew, sometimes that interchange of order in a verse just was the Torah speaking its natural language. And sometimes maybe it was being set off for a particular reason. And we don't know. Is there, if you were to answer your own question, is there something that strikes you as interesting or significant that it doesn't begin no pun intended. Does something oh. strike me? <laughs> yeah, something, 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 uh, something rod you. Yeah. I think when it starts with the object, it's, it's the, the, the emphasis is on the object itself. It's mm-hmm. saying, you know, Dafka, this mate. Hmm. It's as if it's being shown to him. And, 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 and Moshe, remember this? Remember, remember this rod that you just did miracles with? Remember it? Take it with you. Yeah, a little bit of a, a, a highlight. Rebecca? Uh, sort of continuing Joel's point, um, I think the rod is actually Moshe's rod to begin with, right? He showed up with it at the SNES. So I guess he's saying, is he saying that this rod is now becoming a miracle rod? Because he, God mm-hmm. did not give the rod to Moshe. It was his to begin with. So obviously he'll walk off with it, um, I assume. <laughs> So since it's obvious that he'll walk off with it, the mentioning of it, therefore, is, 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 to, is to say something interesting and significant. Is that, is that the point you're making? Yeah, that I'm turning, I'm making you into, you know, I'm making Aaron into your spokesperson. You're becoming a, the, the, the God or whatever, 
way we interpret Elohim. And this uh, this staff is going to become magical. Great. And that builds upon what Larry had said before, which is that you are not, Moshe, being downgraded because you self-identify as Kfad Peh. You're going to have Aaron to do some work there for you, but you're still Elohim-like, and you've got the ma- you've got the power, you've got the the magic wand in your hand. Great, Barry. Yeah, just a little bit of redundant uh, uh, b- because it's at the beginning of the sentence. Uh, so God is instilling in this object something special. He's not. He's just not taking the rod. It's first. It's a special. Yeah. Great. So, so Joel, your, your question sparked a lot of possible answers. And, and again, you only get there if you read slow and closely, because if you just kind of lane the verse, it, it doesn't, doesn't register as being out of order. But if you go phrase by phrase, sometimes, sometimes it does. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.